as we look into Scripture today and as we focus on what the Apostle Paul writes about, uh, he's not just writing a, a historical uh, recollection. He's not just writing uh, a historic uh, treatise, so to speak. In fact, his purpose is not to write history at all. His purpose is to encourage and pr to provide a framework through which the church can flourish and attain all that it can be in Christ. And uh, throughout the ages, as we look into the scriptures, we find insights not only for our individual walk and journey with Jesus, but also corporately as a church. How do we, what, what do we pursue? What are the goals that we need to, uh, to, to make the main thing? And one of the things in Philippians chapter 3 that is very, very apparent is the fact that Christ has taken hold of us. And even for those of you in the room who have never committed themselves to Christ, for those of you who are tuning in or listening on the radio, uh, may, the, you know, maybe you're not in church and you just kind of turned the dial this morning or pushed the button and First Baptist Church has come up. Uh, there's a reason that you turn the dial to the station that you're on this morning and there's a reason that you're here. Um, and the reason ultimately that you're here this morning is not because mama wanted you to be here. It's not because you were forced to get out of bed, although that may be a reality for some of you. And maybe your wife said, it's time to go to church. Uh, but the reality is, Christ has taken hold of you. Even for those who have not yet come to know him fully and have not committed to make him known and not have, a, have not applied him to uh, their life and not accepted him as Lord and Savior, God is at work in our stories from the very beginning. Last week we looked in Jeremiah and we knew or we discovered through Jeremiah that God was at work in us long before we were ever in our mother's womb. So since the foundations of the universe, since creation, God is at a plan. He has hold of you and me. The question is not if we're in his grip. The question is, have we realized it? And what are we doing about it? He has taken hold of us. Christ has taken hold of us. You look in verse 12 of, of chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul says, Not that I have attained all this, or obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Christ has you. What does that mean? That means he knows your story. All of your story. Every nook and cranny of your story. He knows everything. He knows all of your thoughts. He knows all the good. He knows all the bad. He knows everything that no one else knows. Christ knows. And even despite our failures, our depravity, and our sinfulness, he still has taken hold of, that, of us. Now, the interesting thing about the passage is it doesn't talk about the sinfulness of man. It does not talk about our failures. This is a very encouraging and uplifting point. And, and, and here's why. Because God does not want you to focus on the negative. The negative will trap you. The negative will prevent you from becoming what you need to be in Christ. God wants you to focus on the positive. And what is more positive than having Christ having hold of you? You are centered in His hand. Whatever you've got, whatever struggle, whatever problem, He's got it. He's got you. You will never venture further than what He can 
go. You will never go higher or lower than He cannot be there because He is always with us. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere we go despite where our life and our journey takes us. And the purpose of Christ having hold of us is two-pronged. First of all, Christ has hold of us for our salvation. For our benefit. God wants to do a work in us. God's desire is to save us. God's purpose in all of creation is to return creation back to what it was before the fall of man. Before Adam chose to sin, before Eve chose to sin, before mankind chose to live life the way they wanted, they were living in perfect harmony with God. They were in this essence of Garden of Eden, this what Thomas More would call the utopia. They were living in a perfect situation. But sin was crouching at the door. And it found them. And all of the drama of the Bible is an attempt to get back at what has been lost. And the only way to get back at what has been lost, the only ticket, the only way to get on is through Jesus. There is no skipping the line. There is no skipping the ticket booth. This week I was in D.C. Some of you are not going to be happy that I'm sharing this. But I was in D.C. And those of you, who visit, uh, those of you who, who went with me, some of you, uh, I'm not going to mention any names. Uh, they will, you know, they'll feel embarrassed as is. But when you, you, you buy a subway card, a metro card, the purpose of the metro card when you load that metro card is to use said metro card when you go into the metro so we have some people that travel with us, good God-fearing people, like Carolyn Duggar and Loretta. And, um, <laughs> and, and they, they, they come through and, you know, they look so innocent. I mean, you just want to crawl up in their lap, listen to them story. I mean, they, they're good people. They, you know, they, they would give you a piece of candy. They always have a smile on their face. But they decided that their card didn't work. So they just went through the metro and never scanned their card. And I'm like, you know, we have a prison ministry. <laughs> Maybe we should visit you in jail. I'll bring you cookies. And it's a perfect illustration because a lot of people in life think that that's the way it's going to be. That when, we, when, when it really matters, when we are standing before God, somehow He's going to be so overwhelmed with all the sinfulness of everybody else that we're just going to skirt by, go through, and we'll never be noticed. You're delusional. You're delusional. You're not going to skip by the gate. <laughs> and you're not going to be measured on a scale of good and bad. And hopefully the good outweighs the bad. And suddenly because you've outweighed the bad, you're going to be okay. Because you helped the little old lady across the street. Because you provided a map for somebody when they were lost. Because you gave somebody money or you gave money to international missions or, or home missions, whatever it is. Somehow that you think the sum total of your goodness and the good deeds that you've done is going to be enough. It's not. You'll go straight to hell. Straight ticket to hell. You and I don't get into the gate based on the ticket that we've purchased, nor do we get in the gate based on the good decisions that we've made or the good deeds that we've done. We get in based on the deed that God has done through the person of Jesus Christ who made a way where there was no way, who works in ways that we cannot imagine or see, but yet it's real. We respond in faith. There's no skirting the gate. 
His purpose of having Christ take hold of us, make no mistake, is for our salvation and for our benefit. And in Baptist life, that's where most of us stop. As long as I'm saved, that's all that matters. As long as I get that card punched, I'm good. And so we think as church membership that once we are a part of the club, so to speak, uh, the church, then we're good. There's nothing else to do. But Christ did not just take hold of us for us. Christ took hold of us for our salvation and also he took hold of us for the salvation of those around us. God's desire is that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would be filled with His presence, that we would be filled with His compassion, His love, that we would be centered in His will, so that it not only impacts and determines our life and the way we look at life, but so that we have the potential to impact other people. That's the purpose. Christ has taken hold of us for our salvation and for the salvation of others around us. Our purpose and our will must conform to Him, which means that we must take hold of Christ inasmuch as He has taken hold and reached us. We must extend that hold for others around us. And to the extent that we're not reaching other people is to the extent that we are not fulfilling God's purpose in Christ for our lives. Every single one of us' job is to share the gospel to other people. Now, a lot of us have equated the gospel with our testimony. And I'm going to tell you that I focused a lot on testimonies. Testimonies are important. They demonstrate God's act in human history, and namely they demonstrate God's act in human history on a personal level, which each of us. So we might be willing to share with someone about how we have come to Christ, now Christ has worked in our life. Our testimony is not the gospel. Our testimony should contain the gospel. And the purpose of sharing our testimony is not to brag about us. The purpose of sharing our testimony is to lead people to the faithful following of Jesus Christ. Sharing the good news of Jesus. So your testimony, ladies and gentlemen, I've said this before, it's not about the depravity or you living in the ditch. It's not about your bad decisions. It's not about your bad behavior. It's not about your sinfulness. It's not about your, your tongue. It's not about the, the evil that you spout. It's not about the gossip that you participate in. It's not about the coarse jokes that you tell. It's not about the depravity that sometimes consumes and, in, and, and just envelops our lives. Our testimony, ultimately, the purpose is Jesus. Namely, what he's done. And if you share your testimony and you're able to share your story about the depravity and the focus of your testimony is you, you miss the purpose of the testimony. The purpose of the testimony is to give credence and witness to Jesus Christ. How he has told you, how he has hold of you, and how as a result of him having hold of your life and taking hold of your circumstance and taking hold of your journey, your life has never been the same. It can't be expressed any better than the song, He Touched Me. When God has touched your life, you will be radically different. It's not about warm fuzzies. Uh, for years, I went to camp. 
Every summer I went to camp. Sometimes I went to camp three times during a, sur- uh, a, a summer with two or three different churches. And it was always a mountaintop experience. I got close to Jesus. It was an experience. But as I look back on those moments, as I look back on those weeks and all those seasons, the emotional hype was not the purpose of the week. The encounter with God is what is sufficient. Some of us adults, some of us in this very room need to be able to retreat, to have a retreat, to have a summer camp, have a fall camp, and I'm, I'm planning it. I really am. I want to take adults away for even a weekend. And the purpose of that weekend is for us to have a dramatic encounter with God because this is what I know. Healthy families create healthy churches. When families suffer the church suffers. We must have our priorities in order as families in order for the church to have its priorities. Christ has laid hold of us. This is a fact. But does your life, do your relationships demonstrate that reality? Look at what the Apostle Paul says previously in this passage. I'm going to go to verse 7 so you'll need your scriptures. He says, whatever gains or whatever were gains to me I consider loss, verse 7, chapter 3, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ... And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, a lot of us read that and we go, I'm lost. There's three syllable words. Here is what Paul is writing about. No matter what I've accomplished in my life, no matter what good things have happened to me, no matter what trophies I've gained, no matter what friends I have, no matter what my peers may think about me, no matter how great of a person I may be in the world's eyes, and though I love that ego and I love love being, being esteemed highly among others, the Apostle Paul will write this, I consider that a loss to me. But not only do I consider that a loss to me, not only do I close that door, I consider that garbage. I take the greatest things that have been bestowed upon me and I consider them garbage for the surpassing knowledge to know Christ. To be found in the lack of knowledge and to be filled with the person of Jesus, this has become my mantra. This has become my seat. This has become my defining moment. Jesus is all that matters. That's what Paul talks about. So the question that we're left with, and many times we're dumbfounded, do we, do we, Do we believe in Christ? Have we surrendered to Christ as much as we've needed to to the point that we can express that statement of reality? For Paul, everything else is garbage. All that matters is Jesus. 
oh, do I hear crickets? There are crickets in the room. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing more important this morning than your standing before Jesus. Nothing. You might have an encounter with Christ in this moment and it takes you all afternoon to sort it out. Forget about the ball game tonight. Ball game doesn't matter compared to Jesus. Nothing matters except Jesus. Can you say that? The Apostle Paul encouraged the church at Philippi not only to say it, but to live it. Because he recognized Christ had taken hold of him for his salvation and for the salvation of others around him. The other thing I want you to notice if you look in verses 13 and 14, and even before that, but we'll concentrate on 13 and 14. Apostle Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Before that, he writes very eloquently and uses what I call church in these words. And these church in these words was that we're not pursuing a righteousness of our own. That means that we're not merely trying to live a good life. Uh, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to live a good life. You do have to be a follower of Jesus to live the Christian life. There are good lives that are not Christian. But good lives don't spend eternity with the king. Good lives can go to hell because it's not based on our righteousness. It's not based on our goodness. It's not based on our works. It's based on, again, what Christ or what God has done through Jesus Christ and the fact that he has taken hold of us. It's not our merits. It's not our work. It's not our beliefs. It's not our system of crossing this T and dotting this I. It's solely based on Jesus. He has hold of you. Have you recognized it? Verses 13 and 14 as he writes, he says, not that I've attained it. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, it's one thing when we come to Christ and we have a tendency in the church, once we come to Christ, we have, uh, we have this uh, subtle attitude that <clears throat> we're now in the know. We're in the club. Um, and I, I'm very, I, I like to click, uh, I hate clicks. I love to obliterate clicks. It is my passion in life to obliterate clicks. I'll tell you why I don't like clicks. Uh, in high school, I wasn't in the click. I hated the click. Uh, I would love to obliterate the click. And so I don't desire to create clicks in the local church. I desire to create people that are to motivate people to be sold out solely to Jesus that is willing to take every man, woman, and child, regardless of race, creed, or whatever else defining words that we want to use about them, and absolutely have them sold out for Jesus so that their will, their life, their lifestyle, their ambitions, their motivation are all conformed to Him. Everybody has a place at the table. Everybody has a place at the altar because Christ has taken hold of all of us and we desperately need him. When you look in verses 13 and 14, Paul says, it's not that I've obtained this. 
So the fact that he's saved, the fact that he knows Jesus, it's not something that we should be able to hoard other people. It's not something that we should be pious about and holier than thou about. We need to recognize where we've been and what sin has so easily entangled our lives and how we have been radically freed from that which could have easily, easily, easily destroyed us. But because Christ Jesus took hold of us, because of His sufficient and amazing grace, our lives have been transformed. And we don't go to other people preaching them a gospel or preaching to them how they need to conform to Jesus. We need to go and preach the gospel and let them know our story is this. I haven't always been this way. I have been in the trenches. I have been lost. I have been in the dirt. I have wrestled in the dirt. And God has taken hold of me through the person of Jesus Christ. And he has pulled me out of the dirt. And it's not that I, am a, it's not that I have arrived. It's not that I have, as Paul says, already attained this. But I'm pressing on. I'm looking forward to the prize that lies ahead. I'm not going to be... Focused. I'm not going to allow the past to determine the present nor the future. Because listen, ladies and gentlemen, we can stay here in Jesus, until Jesus comes back a second, third, fourth, and fifth time to disclose to one another our sinfulness and our failure. But that's not going to fix the problem. Because it's really not about our sinfulness. It's about forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ that is extended to everyone. Everyone. Let me say that again. Everyone. There is no creature on creation, no human being on the face of this planet. I don't care how much they are opposed to God. I don't care what words they've used. I don't care, I don't care what they've done in this life. You think of the absolute worst, 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 worst possible thing that you can ask or imagine... Jesus Christ went on the cross for them. His sacrifice on the cross is for all people. And all people have the potential within them and through Jesus Christ to be radically transformed. We don't stand on our merit. So you may have been a great person. Uh, you may have jumped through the right hoops. You may have been born in the right family. Let me give you an illustration. I believe this with all my heart. Person A, we'll call him James. James is a good guy. James was born in a Christian home. That means his parents went to church every Sunday. James' father was a deacon in the local church, esteemed highly by those in the church. James always said the right things. He knew the right answers. He was always the appropriate, very, very, very attuned to his manners. He said the right things. He said he was polite. He said, thank you and yes, ma'am and no, ma'am and yes, sir and no, sir. He went through school. He was a straight-A student. He was also an athlete, a star quarterback. Every sport he played, he excelled in. He went to college. Amazing. Had a full ride to anywhere he wanted to go. Got married, living the perfect life. His wife, they raised their kids in church. Did everything right. Let's stop there. Then we're going to pick up on a man or a boy by the name of Sam. Sam is also 
A human being. Sam was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. His parents didn't come to church. In fact, he doesn't know who his father is. His mother's been strung out on drugs. He grew up in the system. He already had his life stacked against him. There's nothing that he could do about the cards that he's been dealt. Sam struggled in school. His teachers prayed that they would never have him again. Sam didn't go to college. Sam started working at McDonald's shoveling French fries because that's the only job that he could get. He had no trade. He had no expertise. He wasn't even a people person. He didn't have the social skills. Why? Because he had been burned and bruised from the beginning of his life all the way to the current time. He was in relationship after relationship. He fathered a number of children by different women. But then, at the age of 50, Sam decided to go to a revival meeting. They were serving pizza. Sam was there because he was hungry. So Sam went to eat the pizza. And as he left that, he wasn't interested in religion. He had been there, done that, heard about it, wasn't interested in it. But something compelled him to see it. And so Sam sat underneath that revival. I don't know what the sermon was about. Sam doesn't know either. But that night, at the age of 50, Sam gave his life to Christ. Both men live until their 70s. Sam, oh, he was wretched. Oh, the community knew all about his story of his coming in and going out, all about his depravity. His life had been defined by failure upon failure upon failure. We see the other gentleman, he lived a good life, esteemed highly by everybody else. But he never accepted Christ and he died. I ask you, which one is better in the kingdom? Our tendency in our culture is to say, well, the first one. And that would be nice and well and good, except it's not real. When the first one, no matter how good he lives, goes to, uh, meets his maker, there's one place he's destined for. That's hell. All because he never trusted in Jesus Christ. Sam, on the other hand, though he had a very vivid and colorful past, he accepted Jesus. Jesus changed his life and he was forgiven. Sam gets to spend eternity with the king. So many of us are very good at welcoming and affirming and taking out to lunch the first gentleman I mentioned. We're not so good at meeting, inviting, and helping those who have had a hard life. Christ Jesus has taken hold of us for our salvation and for the salvation of others. There's a difference between winners and losers. Winners win. Winners don't fixate on their past failures, nor do they fixate on their past victories. But winners humbly fixate on the goal that lies before them. And the goal that lies before us is heavenward. The goal that lies before us is a prize better than anything else. And though our culture will give a trophy for everybody that participates, there is no prize for participation. There's only the prize for those who choose not to be defined and fixated on the past, not to be defined by the past of their failures or the past of their successes, but choose to look forward 
to continue on and move ahead and press on toward the prize that lies before us, the prize that is heaven-bound, the prize that we were created, the prize that we the prize that we can experience, the reason that God has laid his hands upon us before we ever were able to utter breath. So I ask you, what's defining your life? Is your life more the testimony of Sam or the testimony of the other? Do you treat people like Sam differently than you treat the other gentleman? Do you look for people that are like you? Because you know what? People that are like you could be as lost as you are. They may pay their bills. They may shop in the right places. They may look the part. They may know the words to say. Christ has taken hold of you. Christ has taken hold of us for our salvation and for the salvation of other people. We must press on toward the goal in order to win the prize for which God has called us in Christ Jesus. You want the trophy? Finish the race. You want the trophy? Pursue what is right. You want the trophy? Don't just seek your own benefit, but seek the others around you. Not everybody has your story. Not everybody has your uh, paradigm. Not everybody has your pedigree. Not everybody was raised in the right home, on the right street, with the right family. But there are plenty of testimonies in this room, though that the cards were stacked against them, though everything in life has, has happened to them, they have chosen to seize this moment for Christ and Christ has, has latched onto them and they have absolutely bloomed. Why? Because Christ is at the center of who they are. And they can humbly tell you about their wretched story but it's far more important for them to tell you their story as a result of Jesus. In the invitation today we're going to sing Wherever He Leads I'll Go. Is that true for you? Are you pursuing the right things? Have you recognized that Christ has taken hold of you for your salvation and the salvation of others? Are you a winner? Losers lose. Winners win. I don't think anybody in this room wants to be a loser. And you're not a loser because someone gave you an L. <laughs> you're not a loser because you've messed up. You're a loser when you choose to deny the winning ticket that Christ, that God has called you through, through Jesus Christ. Your ticket has been purchased. And God stands at this altar today with ticket in hand and he says, just come and take it. You've had a life, but you've not had life. I can give you life to the fullest. No pressure. You come just as you are. Don't wait to fix yourself up. Don't wait to look the part because you'll never come. Just come now in these moments and fulfill the purposes and reasons that I've latched onto you 
from the very beginning. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. Lord, forgive us for paying more attention to what people think of us than, a, than our intrinsic value rooted in Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning as we come to this altar, we confess to you that we often have misprioritized our lives. But Lord, today we come and we surrender our ambitions, we surrender our lives, we surrender our relationships. And Lord, we recognize that you have been at work in our lives long before we ever thought you were working. And today we come, not only for our salvation, but we prayerfully seek the salvation of other people. That people might come to Jesus in droves that those who have been written off by the church and those who have been written off by society and those that we have given up on, Father, forgive us for giving up on people because, God, you have never, ever forgiven up, forg uh, given up on us. Lord, in this invitation, we accept your forgiveness. Father, we confess to you our sin. We confess to you our failures. We confess to you that we have often not allowed you to be centered in our hearts and in our minds and Lord, we come today to have ourselves reconnected to you. Father, for family members, for friends, for neighbors, for co-workers today that are not in church, we pray for opportunities that they might realize God's work, your work in their story. And Father, as we're in this journey, may we be winners. Let us not have our future determined by our past, but allow our future to rest in the sovereign providence of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.